Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with Song Trader CEO Paul Wiltshire. Paul founded Song Trader, which is the largest online sync agency platform in the world. We are discussing how SongTrader works if you are looking for an agency to rep your music, the benefits of being on their playlists, why it is essential to upload WAV files, and the necessity of having instrumental versions of your songs on SongTrader's platform. So if you're looking to get into the TV and film industry with your music, then this is an episode that you need to listen to and take lots of great notes. So grab your pen and your paper and get ready for a great interview. All right. Hey, everyone. I am talking with Mr. Paul Wiltshire in California. How are you today, sir? I'm very well, Marty. Thanks for having me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me and uh, and sharing with my audience your story and all that you've been a part of throughout your career. Um, you are a very successful very successful person in the music industry that, that I have seen. And just for our audience to know, this is our first time to actually get to talk to each other uh, really in person. We've, we've emailed back and forth a few times and I reached out to you to ask you to be on, on the show. And so, and the reason that I wanted to, to invite you to come onto the show is because you are the founder and CEO of an organization called song trader, which if musicians that are in the, the TV film sync world will be definitely be familiar with song trader because it's like pretty much like the largest uh, licensing agency in the world now, pretty much, isn't it? Uh, I, uh, we have over half a million uh, artists and songwriters. Uh, so I'd say we are probably the largest in that respect. And yeah. yes, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a journey that uh, never ends at the moment because we're, we're looking <laughs> to, we're, we're looking to really deliver as much value to that community as well. So we, we're very much focused on building, you know, both sides of that marketplace. And, and so far, so good. Yeah. Well, I am a member of Song Trader, and a lot of the the artists and producers and writers that I work with in the sync world uh, are members as well. So, you know, I just thought it was it's a natural extension for me to reach out to you and kind of find out your story of where you came from, how you've worked your way up through the music industry, and in the different aspects of the business you've been a part of. And what got you to start Song Trader to begin with? So, uh, let let's just back up for a moment and tell us, you know, who you are, where you're from, and and what got you on the path to making music for a living to begin with. Well, I'm I'm very much a musician at heart. So, you know, I, I discovered music at a very young age. Uh, it was initially brass instruments and keyboards, and uh, but I, I also had a love for technology. Uh, I remember when the Commodore 64 came out. That's uh, probably showing my age, <laughs> and uh, and I, I was fascinated with it. You know, I, was, I literally spent hours programming, and uh, uh, back then to to do I'm, I'm I'm diverting a little bit from music, but you know, the, back then to to design uh, a, a picture on the screen, you had to sort of calculate the the binary and, and uh, you draw shapes on eight by eight graph paper and, and uh, that would sort of lead to programming, uh, you know, programming pictures that you'd see on a screen. But it was my passions were both technology and music. And I, I really discovered music through, you know, I, I, initially, as I said, through brass instruments, but I, but I discovered the Juno 106 in, uh, I think it must have been 1986. 
and that just changed my life. You know, the, having um, yeah synthesis where you could actually create all these different sounds, and so that that led to um, you know wanting to be in bands, and uh, I I got into a band with my friends in school. We, I grew up in a country town; it's quite small, hundred thousand people outside of Melbourne in a, in a town called Ballarat. And you know, one thing led to another. I started, uh, you know, learning how to program music, and uh, I spent many years playing in cover bands and various original bands. And meanwhile, during the day, just uh, programming music. And you know, initially, it was, you know, small little jobs for for clients who wanted to have, say, cover versions created of their track and singing over the track, and then eventually um, creating uh, or songwriting with uh, with vocalists and, and starting to produce music uh, for independent artists that, that really led to a, to a pr- production and, uh, and songwriting career. Uh, so being from Australia, um, I'm just curious, what is different in the Australian music scene as opposed to the American music scene? Did, was, there, was that even a thought to you back then or, or not? And I'm really talking about more nowadays, if, if you can kind of speak into that, because I know you've been very successful in the Australian music market. Is there a difference, really, as far as musically speaking, what the music uh, is needed for or people are, are, are looking for in that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's uh, the, the two big differences between you know, the two countries, and I, and, I, and I feel as much American as I do Australian in many ways. I, I, I was born in America, so I was born oh, okay. I'm, I'm American by birth, and an Australian probably by it by mind in many ways, but, <laughs> uh, but the the big difference is scale, and you know to have a hit in Australia may not be life changing, but I but to, to have a hit in a in America, I, I I really think that's that's most likely quite life changing. It's right. a you know Australia is quite a small market. You know the population of Australia is equivalent to LA County. And you know, circa twenty million, twenty. It might be a little more now, maybe twenty-three million. And you know, the 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 Australian sort of music industry is a fuse of sort of local culture combined with UK and US influence. So from a from a sound perspective, and this has gone through you know various iterations. Uh, in the eighties, the Australian music industry was very healthy, and it, it really developed its own sound and so many great bands came out of that period and it was supported by a very healthy live environment and i think a lot of that changed in the subsequent years just you know for for various reasons you know the expansion of um they call them rsl clubs that have gaming you know like uh, pokies and that that type of uh, entertainment started to overshadow live entertainment which had a quite an impact on on the uh, on the local music uh, scene, and, and then you add technology and the business, you know, the business growing, uh, and then the the on the onset of the TV led artist. You know, we, we remember the the American Idol and uh, and the Voice you know, influence. Right, that had quite a change on the on the music industry through those periods. Yeah. So as a producer, because you've been a hit producer when you were in Australia. What was it that got you into producing? Like, did you go to, did you go to school to learn to be, you know, an engineer and producer, or did you just kind of fall into it by, by chance and get those opportunities, you know, being around other, other people that were doing that, that sort of led you down that career path? Um, it, it really was trial by error for me. I, I, I didn't go to school to, to learn the craft and I had very l- limited influence outside influence it really was um i think my passion for technology and music and combining that so you know i was very much a hands-on producer where i would uh, initially program uh, and play all of the instruments so i you know i became um very pro- you know, became very familiar with how to program beats and where to source samples and mm-hmm. and uh you know had lots of different synthesizers and you know eventually plugins you know that allowed me to you know very quickly create music and and uh, I, it really was a, a, a metamorphosis from just what I would call programming music to producing music and that 
that really happened when I started recording vocalists and and uh, and, and starting to learn how to direct performance and uh, and guide you know guide a singer to to sounding a certain way or, or in, you know influencing their um, their diction in certain ways and sort of simplifying melodies and trying to um, really focus in what they're doing on creating hooks and and structure around you know, that process. And I, I was blessed in that um, the one of the first, uh, I guess, one of the my first experiences with with recording vocalists was with a particular school that started sending. It was a singing school in Melbourne that started sending me a lot of uh, of its uh, of its students and uh, and. I was literally doing this almost every day. It was it was like I'd start at ten a.m. Uh, the a singer would come in. They'd have their ideas, and sometimes their ideas were just in absolute raw form. It'd be a melody and some words, no chords, and I'd have to interpret that. And the goal was for them to leave at the end of the day with a finished track on a CD. And you know, sometimes that's incredibly tra- challenging, and and it, but it also trains you to to make decisions quickly and and to and to interpret uh, interpret melodies and rearrange melodies and, and very quickly uh, come up with sort of complementing um, you know chord structures and, and riffs and and uh, so I, I got I, I started really excuse me refining this process and uh, it eventually uh, you know, after three or four years of doing that constantly, like six to seven days a week, I was a very hard worker through this through this process. Uh, there was uh, one particular um, young girl. Uh, her name was Vanessa Amorasi. She was fourteen at the time and was managed by um, quite a well-known Australian uh, singer from the seventies called Mark Holden. And you know, she had this incredible voice. And I worked on songs uh, with her and Mark for about 12 or 14 months and she went on to become a huge hit in Australia and uh, I think she sold you know circa two million albums and wow. uh, I, I'd written four songs that got on that album and, and, and did a lot of the um, production work although there was other producers involved in the in the album at the time that was it was kind of my first break that then opened up a lot of opportunity in the Australian music market from there. Yeah. Once you start getting success to uh, on a certain level, then doors start opening. People start calling you as opposed to you calling people trying to, um, trying to ask for the opportunity to do something with them. Yeah. Sometimes. And absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of tough months through that. There's a lot of, you know, hope and, uh, and, and, I, and most of the work that I did with Vanessa, and Mark during that period was completely on spec, so it was it was all on the on the ambition of getting songs on an album that would be one day released that could possibly be a hit. You know, it, it was like a bet on a bet on a bet. Right. And and it, I I think the the music industry is you know it is a very challenging industry, and it does require uh, a balance of you know unwavering faith. And and uh, tenacity and uh, a great work ethic. That combination, I think, is is really powerful because um, you're willing to put in the time and you maintain a belief that that success is is in your future. And uh, if you if you do the work, uh, and uh, I, I absolutely lived by that, and it, uh, I still do. Yeah, uh, me as well. I mean, everybody. I think. The majority of people listening are, you know, in that same boat. And I'd say time and time again, the, those of us that are, that end up being successful in the music industry are those of us that never give up. You know, I think it's such 100%. an important thing is just to keep, keep going. And, you know, when you hit a roadblock or something that's holding you back or something that's just not working is find a way around it you know, and go, go around that barrier or some way to conquer that. Or if that's just not, you know, maybe whatever, whatever it is that you're specifically trying to do is just not working. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe there's another avenue within the industry that you are really good at 
you know, and sometimes it's just trying to figure out what those things are. So, but it's still just not giving up. You know, I think we just, uh, ab- we just keep absolutely at it. every every failure is is uh, an opportunity to learn something. And, uh, sure, so. yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'm curious what. So you were born in America. You moved and grew up in Australia and um, for years and built your career initially in Australia. So what what made you decide to come back to America and and pursue a, a career here? So I, I got a taste for um, working here in Los Angeles in 2001. I was uh, I met uh, a producer manager who was based here in, in LA, quite a well-known producer manager at the time called Sandy Roberton. And he was looking after a production company, um, pop music production company called The Matrix um, back, back in the, or back during that period. And The Matrix went on to produce, you know, a lot of the Avril Lavigne hits and, and, a, and a whole right. suite of other um, right. successes. And um, they were at that, at that time really starting to, to scale up and, and, uh, Sandy asked, well, Sandy asked me if I would be interested to go and work with them. And it was a big, at the time, it felt like a big move. It, it, it required me, uh, you know, boxing, boxing up all of my studio, which was, you know, back then it was, I don't know, maybe 60 rack spaces, possibly maybe 80 rack spaces and, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of keyboards, computers and, and, and shipping it over to learn what it was like to work with another production company and, and, uh, be a part of a team um, where I'd always been so sort of independent and, and uh, sort of one one person producer, and I, I did that because it sounded like an opportunity that you have to take. That uh, even though it doesn't sound like something exactly you want to do at the time, I I thought well this is a too good opportunity to refuse, and and uh, so I spent two months here working. Uh, with the Matrix, and it was a it was a great experience. We you know, did a lot of music, um, and uh, there was some there were some great tracks that came out of that experience. At the same time, there was so much happening in Australia, and I was very torn. Uh, you know, I was asked to to remain here and keep working with them, but I, at the same time, we just um, myself and a, and a and someone I was working with had just signed a, an artist in Australia to a to a label there, and. You know, they wanted us to produce this album, and, and this was an artist we had a great involvement with, and we're writing you know most of the songs on the album. And I, I had just done a publishing deal in Australia, and it just felt like I was very much torn. I had to make a choice, and the choice I, I chose was um, just to remain in Australia and and, uh, and and pursue those opportunities. It felt like that's where I had the most traction, and and I I wasn't uh, I didn't feel like. Uh, it was the right path just yet to remain in America, but right. it started to itch at me. So I, I went back to Australia and we worked on these projects and I was like, oh, you know, there's, there's so much more happening in America. And, and uh, so what, what eventually happened is I, I came back, I met with Sandy and I said, would you be interested in managing, managing, managing me? And, uh, and uh, I ended up setting up a studio in, he had a spare room in his offices. I turned to that, turned that into a studio. And so I started traveling back and forth between the two cities, Melbourne and Los Angeles, you know, spending two months here, two months in Melbourne. I did that for three or four years. And that definitely led to some, uh, some great opportunities. And, uh, and it, was, it was really during that period I became very familiar and started to you know, fall in love with uh, Los Angeles. And, and uh, eventually you know, we moved. Uh, I moved my entire family here in, uh, in 2013. That's great. Well, so I'm looking at your bio here and it says an award-winning record producer and songwriter having produced or composed music with sales in ex- excess of 15 million records, including 12 number one albums and singles. Like that's just awesome. So first of all, congratulations oh. <laughs> and all that. They, uh, uh, sales numbers don't really sound very big anymore in, in, the, in the age of uh, billions of streams. <laughs> well, yeah, but still, I mean, I mean, uh, from my perspective, that's it's still huge because I have not sold 15 million records. <laughs> oh, so um, can you tell us some of the artists that you've worked with that would include 
those album sales and singles? Um, so there's the Backstreet Boys, uh, Vanessa, who I mentioned. Uh, there's a, a boy band in Australia who is uh, now a resident of Las Vegas called Human Nature. And we did, uh, um, I did a three or four albums with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, a couple of those were uh, reached number one in, in the, on the Australian charts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Guy Sebastian is another um, well-known Australian Australian artist, uh, Marsha Hines, and uh, so testing my memory now because I have to go back. To- <laughs> no, that's okay. You don't have to, <laughs> to dig deep. I just uh, just want people to, to have be familiar with who you've worked with. So yeah. um, with like so like with the Backstreet Boys because everybody knows the Backstreet Boys. Were you are you producing for them? Like, what's your involvement with them, and how did you make that connection to be able to start working with with them? Yeah, so. I, I only did one song with them. I, uh, it was a it was a song I wrote with uh, my, my now wife Victoria, okay. and uh, we uh, we went into pro- and we produced the the um, recording as well. Okay, and that came about from my relationship with Sandy Robert and the manager. He he definitely opened up that opportunity. Uh, they were looking for songs for their I think it was called the Never Gone album back then. Or, uh, it was like Circuit. 2003 2004 mm-hmm. and uh we you know we produced this track we demoed it was just a, a song we wrote uh, in australia we finished the demo of it in a, in uh, our in the u.s in the los, los angeles studio and sandy took it to the a and you know i remember i still remember that day that uh sandy told us that they want to they want to record it and we were literally jumping off the walls. I mean, it, was, it was, you know, it, it definitely, you know, was the highlight of, uh, of that decade. I think it was, sure. it was an incredible feeling. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, you bring up an interesting thing for me. You're talking about demoing, ma- making a demo of the song. And for people that uh, most people listening know what a demo is, but just in case, you know, that's a demonstration recording of what, the song could be if an artist wants to record it. So I'm curious from your perspective of when you made the demo, you know, you, you probably didn't have the Backstreet Boys in mind at the, at the time, did you? Uh, well, so the first version, we didn't know. We, uh, we had actually a boy band in Australia in mind because we, okay. we wrote the song and, and so, no, we didn't have. Didn't okay. Have my, okay. So my question is when you're making a demo, you're writing a song to make a demo um, with, with a band, a boy band or, you know, a quartet or whatever it is, uh, something of that nature in mind to be the artist to, to cut it. When you create the demo, are you doing four part harmonies thinking like, you know, to give it the perspective of, of a boy band feel, or are you cutting it just as like a solo artist playing it for them with the hopes that they were going to hear what it could be in their, in their vein. It's a good question. So in this particular instance, we were very much, um, I mean, the, these were the days where background vocals were definitely in and, you know, there was a lot of, uh, in pop generally, there was a lot of stacking of, uh, background vocals. Yeah. And so I think we would have done that anyway. Sure. And, and this particular song did have uh, a clear sort of, you know, presence of multi, you know, multi-harmony uh, background vocals. But, but I, I don't think we sort of intentionally made it sound like a boy band song. It was really just about making a good pop song. And, yeah. and you know, as, as pop writers, you sort of get in this mode where you're just continually looking for hooks and, and it, it's, a, it's kind of a torturous process that you know you find joy when you find the right hook that you kind of feel tortured while you're trying to discover it you know the, right. the right one it's a, it's a lot of self-criticism sure in the process well what the reason i'm asking part of what's interesting is that being i'm in nashville tennessee so you know which is country music capital of the world so a lot of country producers and labels when when you create a demo to pitch to a publisher or a label for an artist. Sometimes they only want a guitar vocal or a piano vocal, and that's it. Sometimes they want a fully produced 
song like it would be on the album for whatever artist it might be. It just, it depends on who the producer is or who the publisher is that you're pitching to. But I know in pop music, because the track is such an integral part of what the song is. And so that, you know, you want it to be as nice and shiny and as complete as possible in the pop world. Um, that's kind of what I was, you know, trying to, trying to gauge that from you. So, I mean, I'm assuming from your experience, that's, that's the case being in the pop, in the pop world is it's as complete as possible of a demo that you could, it could be on the record itself, just the way that it is. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's key to, to assume that the listener may not have the imagination to know what it's going to sound like as a produced record. So I always approached it in, in a way that, you know, make a finished recording. I call it a demo because the intention to release it is not there, but, but, uh, that the, the, to, to release the demo that is. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, you know, I, I would go to the lengths of, you know, hiring guitarists or any other extra players that I would need and, and funding that ourselves in order to get and spending the time to mix it properly and really get it to a finished product before presenting it. So you're presenting the absolute, what you think is the best possible version you can at the time. It, it was key, certainly back then. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been in the uh, songwriting um, pitching uh, as myself as a, as a songwriter, you know, to pop, to pop uh, music opportunities for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so the industry may have changed significantly, but uh so it was but you've got experience in that, so that, that's yeah. why I wanted to ask you because you've had success, you know, because from that. So I think that's an important thing for people to hear, you know, from someone from your perspective who's been on that side of it, and you know, it, versus now, and to see that that's still such an important. I think so. Know, yeah, make make part. make a record, and then you then you the listener's going. I just need to put the right vocal, and there was very little that changed on on that particular track other than the vocal itself. It was really, I think we added a couple of percussive things, but uh, it was pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's jump ahead to, um, so you started Song Trader and uh, I'm intrigued to know what made you want to start Song Trader? Like what got you into the TV film sync world to begin with? And why did you feel the need to start a company like song trader for for that purpose so in between being a a, a songwriter and, pro, and producer and uh, and and the start of and the launch of song trader i we, I, I started a, a small label and publishing um, business in australia and and uh, signed a, a number you know, a small number of of uh, artists and and there was about a two or three year period that uh, was spent just just developing artists, and I, I really became very familiar with just how hard that that is to 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 develop and to be an independent artist and to to be able to break into the industry. I'd had the, I guess, the luxury of working on established artists, you know, and working for major labels, and uh, and I. You know, I, I was felt compelled to start um, developing our own talent, and I very quickly became familiar with how just how difficult that is in mm -hmm. terms of breaking new acts. And it was during that process that I I realised that you know we're making all these great recordings, but no one's hearing them, and and you know we started naturally looking at sync and and film and TV and opportunities and advertising, and and you know as I really started to learn about that world where you know, if, if I ever got a sync, it was it was pretty rare actually that I got a sync in terms of my own catalog, and that was another um, driver. Is that I had I had created this uh, fairly substantial catalog of music over the years, and you know, maybe there must be circa six seven hundred tracks in my catalog, possibly more, and very few had been ever synced. And you know, I'd, I'd always had publishers at the time, and and you know you. Your, your expectation when you sign a publishing deal is they'll go out and work your catalog. And, and I'm sure that's the case with many publishers, but it wasn't my experience. They, they may have, uh, there may have been, you know, some, uh, some attempts to, to make, to make, uh, to make sync 
uh, activity a reality for that catalog, but there certainly wasn't much result. And and so I I just thought that this had there has to be a better way to to make this possible, not not just for um, established writers and, and or producers or songwriters like myself, but for any artist. And I felt like there must be a demand on both sides. And you know, the industry was certainly changing at the time. You know, I chose 2007 to 2010 to build to build a boutique record label, which probably was the worst time in the history of the music business to develop a, a label, <laughs> given that it was the changing of you know the the decline of the music industry before it started to to rise with the, the streaming revolution, right? And uh, and it just became this idea that I couldn't let go of, and. Uh, I felt like th this. There must be this solution. There, there needs to be a, uh, something built where um, any artist can, or any artist, any songwriter, any rights owner could could upload their music and it be available to you know, any vertical of of music buyer in the from a from a business to business sense. So those verticals would be advertising brands. Um, TV, film, trailers, gaming, uh, right down to the independent filmmaker or YouTuber. So, so it was. Uh, it was. We 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 thought. Well, if we're going to do this, it's going to be very difficult to do this from Australia because you don't really have an epicenter of of uh, of, of content there. It's it's you know it, it is it is a very small country, and you you certainly feel that when you come over here. It's a great country. I love Australia dearly, but it's. Uh, uh, it is a difficult country to build something like this, and so we, and so we made the move. And and uh, in two thousand, I think it was two thousand thirteen, we moved over here and and uh, started this quest. And in two thousand four, it took me a, a year just to really. Uh, we we um, the first part of this, we we had uh, a third party company build a prototype, and uh, they they did a reasonable job, but it's it's you know starting a Starting an internet business when you've never done it before is, you know, has its own challenges. <laughs> you right. could say there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, opportunity to learn, and uh, and uh, it was so uh, it wasn't really until we had a beta period in 2015, but we kind of we didn't get it officially launched until 2016. And, uh, so you know, we're still on this great journey. Yeah. So once you kind of got it all figured out of how to put it all together. I mean, you're, you're having to reach out to production companies and advertisers, um, music supervisors, all of these different people that are the ones that are needing the content or they're the gatekeepers to have, have, you know, an artist's content placed onto their projects. So how are you able to connect with those with those companies and advertisers and supervisors to let them know, you know, who you are and this is what we're creating. And it's a different, it's a little different model, you know, than what traditionally has been done because usually, you know, you have a sync, uh, a sync licensing agency that an artist will sign with and send their songs to. And then the, the agency will pitch music on behalf of that artist to a production company or supervisor to, to land it on a show or a film or a commercial. But you guys are kind of doing a little different, you know, way of doing it by doing it internet based, and and being just so massive in the scale of it. So in a sense, it's it's still like an agency, but it's tech enabled. So and it's agnostic, meaning we don't sign anyone to an exclusive relationship, which gives it the scale. So we we felt that. You know the solution should be available for everyone and not limited to to only a few, and and in order to do that, it would therefore have to be you know what what I call agnostic, being that uh, you know anyone any anyone who owns music could participate. So the the challenges to um, to each there are challenges in each vertical. So you know the advertising industry works in in very differently to say the TV film industry, and it required us hiring the right talent and people to be able to 
either they have existing relationships with each of the, you know, with networks within each and and building our you know companies now i think it's almost 70 people worldwide and you know we've grown substantially since last substantially since last year i think the end of last year we were about 2025 20, and it, it does take a lot of people to establish those relationships in, in combination with um, really being able to to market the the product so that people are are aware of it and 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 so that people can discover the the platform as well so it's not just uh, you know established music supervisors and advertising agencies agencies that are our customers it's also you know independent filmmakers who discover the platform online we have to you know create awareness for them whether it's through uh, paid advertising or whether it's uh, through articles that are written about us so it's 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 a multi-pronged approach in terms of being able to address um, awareness just generally mm -hmm. and it's it's always a challenge to to open up new markets and um, we're actually uh, just opened uh, three new offices uh, in uh, Germany and Hamburg and Paris and uh, Sydney and you know they're they're there's so you know we've got people on the ground um, to, to build a walk into agencies on the ground there and, and music supervisors can you talk a little bit about the process of of how how it works so if you are a member of song trader then on your like your dashboard homepage um, you know, it pops up in down like the top in the bottom right corner of what people are looking for, what production companies or indie filmmakers or advertisers or whatever are looking for, you know, a certain genre of a song, you know, in the style of such and such artist for this particular project. Um, can you kind of talk through sure. the process of what it's like to what an artist needs to do or songwriter, whoever needs to get, um, yeah. to be able to pitch for an opportunity, that kind of thing. So there's two ways to, to use SongTrader. There's you know, a passive way to use it and, uh, and a more um, you know, way to, to really you know, push into it. So the passive way is to, is to just simply upload your music, enter in your metadata, uh, copyright metadata, so that we, so we know who, who the writers are and uh, who the owners are. And our, our platform actually connects multiple owners so if you if you've written a song with someone else we can connect them in the platform and the reason we we have to do that is that with sync or the sync license it's it's absolutely necessary to get all the participants uh, or all the owners of the music to to be party to the transaction so the once once you've uploaded your music it it has its own url and is discoverable in our uh, music search. And so usually when, uh, well, almost always when a, when a music buyer comes to our platform, they're using our search to discover your track and uh, the search results um, will be based on certain um, uh, themes, or moods or genres or different filter filtering that is chosen by that, by that search to, to, you know, to find find that track, and then the, those search results will they may show you know it could be five thousand results, uh, but each one of those results will have its own URL, URL, and then on that on that uh, track page there's more information about the track, uh, but they can be licensed from either the search result or the track page. The other way is that we we also post uh, opportunities or that for particular licenses that we're um, working with music supervisors immediately on and they are more urgent in well they when I say more urgent they're, they're actually sometimes they're not they're, they're seven days or ten days sometimes they're, they're um, you know, a couple of hours and we use that to sort of share that with the community so that they can then say hey this check out this track or you know look at these tracks and then we have to sort of review those tracks and find the best one and, and then send send say a short list of uh, three or four tracks to to the music supervisor so that or, or, or agency what whoever that customer is so you have a, a team of people that are working at song trader that are listening they're the ones that are finding the songs and listening to them in and 
creating a short list to then send to a supervisor? Yes, so we have we have multiple teams. So we have teams that are improving metadata and discovery of music, and then we also have teams that are, which we call the, the music curation team, that are constantly curating from our uh, from the platform itself and uh, delivering playlists to uh, whoever is looking for music, and that could be you know anywhere from uh, any, anything from a music supervisor on a on a TV show to uh, to an ad campaign. In another country, uh, to uh, a game, or or even something small. It might be just you know indie filmmaker wants help finding something. Okay, that's good. Thank you for sharing all that. So no I've got um, I think like I told you earlier, I've got artists and producers and writers that I work with in the sync world, and uh, I put out you know some information to to some of my friends and to just to tell them that I was getting to talk to you today because they I was like, they're going to want to know that I'm talking with you. And uh, people are always asking questions uh, in some, in some of the groups that I'm a part of, you know, um, when they're having maybe an issue, you know, something's not working out right, or they're trying to figure out how does something works, you know, best or whatever. So um, I got a couple of questions from, from some people that, that I know that are writing for sync purposes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got a couple of questions I want to share with you that they're asking if, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So my uh, friend Moana, she wants to know, um, do you plan on opening distribution services for cover songs? Do you guys accept cover songs? And if not, will you ever? So the answer is yes. We, we, one of the challenges we had is, is that we have been a sync first platform and with being a sync first platform, it, it, it was so important for us to develop the platform so that all of the rights holders are connected. So the, you know, the songwriters, the publishers, if there are any, the record right. label, if there is any, and the master owner and with distributing covers, it's a different process in terms of getting the, um, the rights to release, say, uh, a cover a cover version, and so I I believe we can now do cover distribution, but we we don't do we don't facilitate necessarily on platform a sync license for a cover, although we do have the capacity to, uh, but it's usually an offline process. So if we have a master that say is a great version of a cover song, and uh, we there is a you know, there's a fit that there is either uh, you know a client who's looking for that particular cover or it's suggested as an idea. Uh, then we often get into the process of negotiation with the publisher, and so that we can facilitate the license of the cover. But to answer the question directly, I believe we can now, um, but I do know of an update that is properly facilitating it, where there's going going to be a cover designation on the actual, um, uh, on the song uh, copyright page, you'll be able to select that this is a cover, it's for distribution only, it's not meant to be in the in the uh, sync marketplace. That does, that's not there yet, so that needs to be there to really make it clear, and I could see how that could create some confusion in, in its absence. Okay, so are you, I'll make sure I understand you correctly. Um, if, if there's an opportunity for uh, a supervisor or a production company to come to you say, yeah, we're willing to accept, or we're looking for a cover song. A- an artist can upload cover songs to their account, but it's just not going to, it's going to kind of happen behind the scenes. If, if someone's interested in using that, it's not going to be put out, you know, as a request saying we're looking for cover songs initially. Is that correct? Kind, yes, yeah, sort of. I, I probably shouldn't have brought up the sync part while trying, trying, you know, answering the distribution question. But in short, you know, there are a, a number of uh, cover inquiries. We are, we don't have, uh, we haven't really designed a journey for uploading covers because at the moment, if you uploaded a cover, you would you would feel like, uh, well, how how do I connect the the copyright owners? You you would be prompted to say, who are the copyright owners and be asking for their contact details and the platform will try to connect them. So at the moment, it's not really a practical use that you can do on platform. However, right. we do have um, the need for cover 
licenses every now and then it's we get requests it's like can you have you got this cover so we are looking at properly sort of integrating the the, the use of covers into the platform um, so it's probably best if i don't encourage a lot of covers to be uploaded with the expectation that they'll be dis discovered because right. it, it, it is difficult for us before we have that actual designation but in terms of uh, distributing uh, a cover i believe that's uh, now in place Gotcha. Okay. Check. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. That's good. No worries. Um, okay. So, uh, Paul Francic, uh, the, that was Moana, uh, Moana Evanenti, by the way, who asked that cool. question. Paul Francic um, is asking Does getting accepted onto one of Song Trader's playlists help with landing placements or does it just increase general exposure? It depends on whether, if, it, if it's a playlist that we're featuring on our main pages okay. it helps with exposure so we you know the idea of those pages is to to push them in front of the buyers so that they're discovering them um, through our curation uh, if it's a playlist that we've put together to purposely pitch to a music supervisor or other buyer then it, it is the best way to get discovered uh, it would depend on the circumstances of, of uh, whether it's uh, for what we call, I think we have content music wanteds, and they are um, that is to populate playlists so that uh, so the buyers searching for music have have a way to discover uh, the you know, those best selected tracks in that in that journey. Uh, one of the questions or an example he put, I want to I want to throw this out here just in case there's a another perspective to look at that I want to make sure I don't miss anything uh, for what his question is. So he's asking, uh, are supervisors actually utilizing the playlists when searching for relevant themes and contacting individuals if they like what they hear? So they don't contact the individual, they contact us. Right, well that's, yes. I mean, they may, if they want to do their own research, it's possible that they may contact the, I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't be aware of that if they did. Um, they, but you know, the idea is to, to share the, um, just share the music to the music supervisor and they contact us to execute a license. Right. Um, yeah, perfect. Okay. Last, last question. This is from Sherry Lynn. She says, uh, why doesn't it import my metadata? So she's always, she's having to redo her metadata that's already embedded in her MP3, but whenever she uploads it into the platform, uh, apparently it's not importing the metadata and she has to like re, you know, fill out the information. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So, um, so there's a couple of things there. So there is the copyright metadata, and then there's the uh, then there's the create what we call the creative metadata. So the creative metadata is like descriptive words that um, that may define the mood or moods and themes associated with the music. Mm -hmm. So um, it would be difficult to to have a to be able to anticipate every type of, of or every possible word and then have to convert it to say our taxonomy which is our um, the the selected keywords that we operate under um, but the copyright the copyright piece is interesting so it, it's almost something I want to talk about to our dev team because it's a good question and, and uh, we one of the reasons would be possibly because it's it won't be a complete set of metadata, and we we often need extra data points such as um, who the writers are uh, or who the publisher is, and um, and there may be you know lots of different variations within the track depending on how that metadata was created, what its origin was, and so an anticipating all the different types. I mean, you could. I'm sure we could align with one type, like uh, like an iTunes um, standard. Uh, but it's it's actually a good question, and and I think uh, it's worth exploring with my with my product and development team as to as to why we don't do that. Sure, but I, don't, I don't have a solid answer on that. No, that's good. I think, well, I think it's actually a really interesting idea that uh, would would speed up the process. We are actually working on a what's called a bulk import um, solution. Uh, that that allows uh, catalog owners to upload in bulk who have um, significant data, but I'm not sure if that's also working off the, what's in, embedded in the track. 
There is one point I'd like to add, though. We would much prefer full uh, quality files. So rather than up uploading MP3s, which which are you know commonly have metadata, uh, we do prefer you know full full quality files like uh, a minimum 16-bit, but preferably 24-bit, you know, 44.1 or 48. K files, so right. So a wave um, file or AIFF file. Yeah, and and typically those wave files are, do not have um, metadata right. embedded in them. Right. So yeah. you're saying that you right now do you accept wave files currently, or do you do MP3 only? And no, you're thinking no, that we should do. No, files? no, we no, we accept and and recommend um, the high quality files. We, oh, we accept, files, yeah. We accept all file formats, but when when you're delivering a you know track to a music supervisor, they, they're really wanting a full quality track. So sure. we have the, the, the answer, the, probably the right answer is that we, we've never thought about importing metadata from MP3s is because we've always pushed for full quality files, which traditionally don't have the data. Right. Absolutely. But, but it's, um, but uh, it's, it's an interesting point though, because you could possibly do both and, and we could be in, you know, saving a bit of pain for, for the user to, you know, you upload the MP3 so we can get the data and, and upload the waveform at the wave file. So we've got the full quality file and, and actually solve two problems at once, but sure. Well, ho it's an interesting idea. Well, yeah. good. Maybe that, maybe that'll help spur something that can, yeah. can improve the, the way things are done. But, um, I appreciate you answering those questions. No worries. Uh, man, I know you're super busy. I don't want to keep you, but just to, just to take a couple of minutes, just to kind of close out, um, what, what advice would you give? I mean, there's so many people that I know that are, that are trying to make a living, you know, doing sync music, trying to get their, their music placed on TV shows and film and, and advertising and different things. And it's a, it's a hard business. You know, we love it. We do it because we love it and we're excited about it. And we feel like there's a, you know, there's a place for us, but it's, you know, especially nowadays, it's so inundated, you know, back probably 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't as big of a thing as more of a niche sort of sort of a thing to, um, to do that. But nowadays, everybody is trying to get their music placed on these things, because that this is where the majority of money is made as a musician. You know, it's like, it's not in record sales anymore. It's not on, on radio singles and things like that, unless you're a huge artist, but as an especially as independent artists, you know, the way to be able to make a good living is in the sync world. And, you know, if you can get it, but it's, you know, it's a long process. So can you give any tips or advice to kind of help, you know, at least working within your platform, what is maybe, what are maybe some things that, that, um, users of song trader can do to help their music stick out uh, or, you know, whether it's, musically or it's how they use your platform to get their music noticed by your the curators and different people that are working within your company so i think from a from a musical perspective and the the world we live in now where it's becoming increasingly data driven is the importance to see one's music career as 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 multiple pieces or multiple parts that need to be nurtured and, addre and addressed. And, and I, and I think, you know, as a, and this speaks more directly to artists more so than a say a composer, but, um, being, being very careful about sort of really nurturing and building each, each of your channels. So whether it's through social channels to, Spotify channels and and each channel of where music is activated, as much as to, even though we you know streaming doesn't yield a lot of uh, financial reward, the the value of of creating um, momentum that may influence a decision of a music supervisor by, for example, um, their deciding between two tracks that they like that are very similar ones by an artist that has say a more advanced profile and one has a, by an artist that is unknown or, or just they're both independent, but one has a slightly 
more engaged or more significant following, it, it might be the difference of their decision. It, suddenly they're not making a subjective decision, they're making an, what they think is an objective decision. And so by building all of those channels and seeing it as all part of the business of being an artist and, uh, and in ensuring that it, you're not just sort of focused all in on one. It's like, if I'm just going to do sync and I'm just going to focus on sync and I'm going to let my artist career sort of go by the wayside, I'm not sure that's the right strategy in, in today's world. I think it, it is about building, building it all and having a, sort of strategies in each. Uh, in terms of, of uh, our, how to best utilize our platform, it's, it's a question I ask myself every day. And it's like, how can we deliver more value and more opportunity to, to artists and more connection? And, and actually, how, how do we build a better connection between uh, the buyer and seller? And it's, it's, it's been the this has been the seed of, of, uh, of really what we're focused on in terms of development this year. There's, there's only so much I can disclose now, but we are working towards a, a major update, which, which does impact the way that works. And we, we are very aware of the growing demand for music, but equally there's a massive supply of music and uh, the dynamics of supply uh, out, out, uh, outweighing demand is, is, you know, it's a constant challenge for when you're building a platform because that we have to make, uh, we have to, our ambition is to create value for everyone. And so uh, that, that makes us really dig in and, and figure out the solution. So I, I, uh, I can say that we are working on something that we think will open up a lot more opportunity and a lot more, um, ability to to reach what is a, a much more diverse buying audience and you know the channels of content are going to continue to explode we've seen just you know this year the release of disney plus but there's others that will that will be coming into the um coming into the arena and uh, there's there's just going to be more and more um, product made more and more ads made more and more tv shows made so Going back to my first statement, the building one's profile, building each 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 uh, each business unit, if you like, my streaming business, my social business. These are all businesses you can manage from home, uh, and my sync business, and and, it, and then finally, it really does often come down to, aside from that, the quality of the production. And so things like uploading the quality file instead of the MP3 can make all the difference. The crucial thing though, is instrumental files. We've had so many uh, licenses not go through because uh, the artist didn't, either didn't upload the instrumental file and we contacted that artist and they didn't have it. But the ability for the, what ends up being the editor to uh, be able to use the instrumental file as well as the full version. So to be able to sort of drop out the vocal, uh, to work around what's happening with say the, the voiceover on, on the, uh, whether it's an ad or, or, or the scene that they're working on is critical. So the, in terms of um, really how to, to, to best use SongTrader, I would go an extra, an extra level because I think this kind of granularity will really be important. It, it is already, but it will become more so, is the stems. So when you're in the studio, when you're mixing down, you know, it's assuming you've got the mix where it should be. So it goes without saying we have to make the best productions and you know, originality is, is key. You know, really digging in and pushing to, to make the best possible music we can make. But when we get to that end point where we think it's done, even, and I know this from my own experience as a producer, I, I sometimes didn't know when it was done. It's like, uh, I'm going to go, I'll just, I'll just print off the full mix and I'll worry about the, the instrumental mix later or the stems later. And, and sometimes I never got back to it. But at that point, whether you, whether, when you feel like it's as close to finish as possible, print off an instrumental version 
but then go an extra step and print off the drums as a stereo track, the bass as a single mono track or or a stereo track, uh, the the guitars even if there are very different guitars, maybe print them off as separate tracks, bouncing them down with all the effects and all of the um, all, all of the automation and effects that you may have in the mix, so that um, so that the the files could be stacked up in a in a in a uh, in a mixer and you could recreate the mix and you know print off the stereo keyboards print off uh, the background vocals as a stereo pair the lead vocals um, possibly with reverb or with effects and without effects give that much um, granularity to the to the stems and upload those so that uh, they're also attached to the actual um, track that's uploaded to Song Trader. We have, you have, we give you the ability to upload all of your stems and instrumental files and, and name them. And what that does is it gives the the music supervisor this kind of great ability to to change aspects or you know to it might be that hey we really love that drum and bass section in the you know, in the middle eight and uh, we really want to just feature that and and give them more edit control. I think that would, is one key thing that we would love to see more of. Um, the instrumentals is just key, absolutely key. And if, if, if you can spend the time also by inserting lyrics, because we use those lyrics, uh, there's a section where you can upload lyrics to, to often influence search results. Sometimes uh, an advertiser is a good example or a brand is looking for a particular style of music but they're also looking for a sentiment a particular you know, particular phrase and uh, it's very hard for us to know that that phrase exists in catalog of hundreds of thousands and millions of songs and so we have to rely on our search tools and data to, to be able to discover something so it's very useful to populate as much as the the hard work is it's required uh, to populate as much information as possible all that's amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to ask you real quick, when you're searching, you know, f for a song or for songs for uh, a, a brief, whatever, then when you're talking about, okay, adding lyrics, when someone that's curating for you guys is, is searching, um, if they type in, you know, uh, Yellow Brick Road, that's, you know, that's something that the, that the production company is looking for, the supervisor is looking for that phrase or that idea. Is it that someone from your team can type in, you know, in a search somewhere in your system, that phrase, and then any lyric of any song that's got that, any of those words, Yellow Brick Road in it will pop up? Like, how, how do they find that? Does that make sense? Absolutely. So the, at the moment, it's, a, it's, it's kind of behind the wall for us. We can search by, I think, song title on the public search, but we're able to, you know, when we get specific requests like that, we can search our database um, very quickly to find any lyrics that, that show um, a particular result. But we are introducing this into our public search as well. We, uh, we updated our search uh, recently. It was uh, the start of, well, it's probably nine months ago now, but it feels recent. And the, you know, we're still building new filters into, into that process and, and, you know, building a, a music search is actually quite a challenging uh, journey in itself. But at this stage, we see it as a long game. It's you know to build out each track with as much detail because we're continuing to innovate. We're looking at many ways to sort of really build out our platform to, to um, leverage more and more data, leverage more and more detail. And, you know, answering your original question, you know, as to what, as to what uh, artists could do to improve the chances or the ability to reach um, someone to listen to their music, we see sort of all of those pieces as critical. That's great, thank you. Uh, last question on that: When you're talking about adding, you know, lots of different types of stems and instrumentals and having all of these different options, do you guys automatically weed out certain songs that you know? If a song has just, you know, just a vocal, ver a full version, and then another song of the same title or the same theme, 
that is they're both being pitched to the same same brief and this other track has got full version instrumental and stems even though they may equally be just as good listening to either one of them they're both amazing songs will you by default pick the one that's got the the instrumental and all the extra stems over the other one just because it's already got those things there does that make sense Absolutely. So um, the stems won't influence us, but the instrumental will. Okay. The, st- the stems is like an added bonus, and, sure. and and that's it's really something that I'm anticipating the future will be more and more reliant on, especially as we build out AI abilities to really understand audio in such deeper and greater ways. Um, but but uh, if we are if we know the music supervisor is just not going to license something that doesn't have the instrumental we would always go for the one that had the instrumental. Sure. That makes sense. It it, it is that important. The instrumental mix is, is, if there was one piece of information to take away from today, it would would be that. It would be make sure there's an instrumental version. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you ever, do you guys ever uh, get songs placed that only have a full version? Or does that just never happen? No, we do. I mean, it, it, we we do often. It's not it's not a prerequisite for every single sale. Okay. Um, but it is it is for it is a prerequisite for many music supervisors who uh, inevitably will just ask for that. So right. you know, it, it's not it's not going to impact those. Um, well, it it does impact if you don't have it. It, it could impact you, but um, it it's uh, it, it doesn't mean there's no chance of licensing. Music. Sure. It just means it's uh, it's difficult, but more difficult. It, it definitely diminishes the op- the opportunity when someone yeah. that's competing against you does have that. So, hundred uh, yeah. percent. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Oh my goodness, this is wonderful, and this is super helpful for for a lot of listeners that are that are on the platform and people listening that have you know that are on the fence, thinking should I you know should I become a, a member of Song Trader and you know how's this going to help me in my career? But there there are plenty of of uh, ways to do that and to be a part of that. So, you know, uh, I'm going to put a link to the website in the show notes so people can go check it out. And um, so I'm just grateful for your time and for sharing your expertise and kind of letting people know how the, you know, how the platform works and uh, how they can take advantage of it and be successful using it. So I, I appreciate your time very much. And whenever I get back out to LA the next time, I would love to take you to lunch. (laughs) And say oh, thank you for for being on here. That'd be great. Well, thanks, Marty. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'd, I'd be happy to do it again sometime. Awesome. Well, thank you. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, guys. There you have it. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I hope you take everything that we've talked about and that you will work hard to implement these things into your career, especially if you're wanting to get into the TV, film, music world. Um, that you will use what we've talked about and that you will take them seriously because you have to have these specific things that he's talking about on their platform to work correctly in order to get placements. And you can do it. Do me a favor, if you would, if you are enjoying this podcast, and I hope you are, then that you will continue to let people know about it. Would you please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on? Please like it, subscribe to it, spread the word, let your friends know about it. And I would greatly appreciate that. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Zoom, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.